of leading a proactive response team that isn't <laughs> um, totally maligned by Big Pharma, Pfizer, Moderna, but is actually focused on holistic health, is focused on individual health, you know, people's own uh, personal health outcomes and whatnot, rather than just blanket policies for everyone, whether it's lockdowns, masks, or vaccines. So, um, Dr. Ladipo, it's great to have you here. Hello? Hello? Testing, testing. All right, you can hey, unmute Rob. yourself. I'm back. Hey, looks like your Wi-Fi dropped or something. I have no idea, man. Hello. Yeah, is it? Oh crap! Are you you're still having problems, huh? Hello. Yeah, yeah, I, I can hear you. Yeah, your your audio keeps kind of dropping a bit. Is your is your Wi-Fi giving you some issues? Okay. At your place. Hey, Nikki. You may be Nikki. He's saying my audio is dropping. No, j j just okay. your connections breaking up a little bit here and there. It's it's good now. You're good now. I know. I hear you, man. But I think it's just going to come back. So the problem is going to come back. Do you know whether they had fixed? I'm just talking. And yeah, Nikki, no, did they? They haven't fixed this yet. Okay. Well, maybe maybe I'll just. Okay. We're going to try a laptop that Nikki has, and uh, I just literally carry around wherever we go. So we're All right. One. Sounds good. Another Worries, thing man. Here, uh... Okay. Okay. I'm signing out of here. Hey, Rob. Do you hear us? Uh, yeah. Now I hear you. Okay, yep. cool. Hey, Rob. Okay, man. Hopefully this will be better. Oh, I don't even see you right now. It says one person live. Are you still in this room right now? <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't know if I'm in the room. Um, well, am I in the room? <laughs> I'm asking Nikki here. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you're in the room. I see host is Rob. And... You want to send another invitation? One of those things you do, invitation to the room, Rob? Yeah, this is so weird. It's like there's like no one in the room, apparently, except for me. But I can hear you, and you're in the room. <laughs> you're in the room. <laughs> Yeah, I just clicked the link, the last link that you had sent us. I don't know if. Yeah, let, let me let me just resend this link via email. Okay. Well, well I. Like
Okay, I re-sent uh, it, Nikki. If you want to All right, let me log out of this one, and then we'll hop on yeah. the other link. Okay, all right. All right. Oh, there you are. All right. Hey, Rob. Okay. Hopefully this works. Yeah. Um, is it on your end, do you think, by the way? Because for mine, I think I'm okay on the Wi-Fi. Has your Wi-Fi just been giving you issues? or? I, I think so. I think it's connection issues. But we're using Nikki's computer now, so okay. it, it seems to be better. Okay. Okay. Okay, so um, you, we got about 40 minutes. Is that right? I got on until 1.30 p.m., at 10.30 p.m. your time. 10.30 a.m. Yeah. So yeah. Got, <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah. Yeah. So we got 40 minutes. That's correct? Just double checking. Yeah. I'm not looking. Yes, that's right. Four zero. Got it. Okay. So you know what? Um, so I do want to talk a lot about the pandemic. So maybe why don't – this is going to sound strange, but I think this might be the best way given the time constraints. Why – how about this? This is like the part two of the podcast, and we can chat about – something that we both are very interested in, which is holistic health and how I think you've been rightly encouraging a lot of holistic uh, health um, solutions for people like exercise, diet and whatnot. So why, why don't we focus on that today? And then when we have an hour next time, we'll talk all about your pandemic stuff. Does that sound good? Yeah, sure, man. Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk to you and you're the boss, man. I'm okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but okay. J j just just making sure that we can reschedule for next time, and then we'll talk. We'll spend an hour just on the pandemic, and now we'll maybe focus on more the holistic health side of things, which I think you've been really good on. So, um, all right, okay, um, all right. Welcome everyone. This is part two of a two-part podcast with Doctor Ladipo. Um, here we're going to be talking about holistic health. Uh, mind-body synergy. Um, I think Dr. Ladipo, just like his pandemic work, he has rightly been promoting a lot of holistic health measures, uh, exercise, diet, um, encouraging people to get outside and take care of their health and whatnot. And honestly, I haven't seen much of that, especially throughout the pandemic. There's been obviously the focus on vaccines, masking and a number of these things, but there hasn't been much focus on kind of preventative medicine. That's kind of one major critique or concern people have of sort of conventional Western medicine is that there's not a focus on the holistic uh, picture, but also preventative care. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not sick right now, let's say, but how can I work towards better health? And Usually most doctors, because of various constraints and issues and just the way they're trained, aren't really able to uh, properly recommend um, holistic uh, body and mind solutions to prevent disease in the future. But I think Dr. Ladipo has been pretty responsible uh, on social media, especially which a lot of people are paying attention to, to promote um, a lot of different things that I think are very healthy. So. Dr. Ladipo, what do you, um, I guess, as your background in the medical field, um, let's maybe start there a bit. Um, what is your perception of taking care of our, of our full body and mind and actually focusing on preventative care rather than, you know, just in the emergency situations when obviously Western medicine is incredibly effective and powerful? Yeah, Rob, you you're 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 totally right. I mean, first you mentioned the fact that that was a theme that we really heard crickets about during the pandemic, and that's that's not good. And it's it's not good because number one, it was incorrect. You know, later on in the pandemic, early on, studies identified obesity is as a risk factor. And we knew before the pandemic in terms of bad COVID outcomes, and we knew before the pandemic that, that obesity is a, is a condition that 
that disrupts and corrupts immune function among uh, and lots of other processes, physiological processes in the body. But but there was this recognition of some risk factors that people really do have some control of some degree of control over. And there was and there was very little attention to to really putting some of those things into action. And some people were were saying things about, hey, you know, what why don't we talk more about helping people become healthier so that not only this virus, but other viruses and other illnesses they're more resistant to. And that was that was completely shunned, right? It was, you know, anything that wasn't about an mRNA vaccine was was shunned, right? It was, oh no, 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 people need to focus on on this path right now. And of course, is as time went on, we actually got some good data that did show that things like exercise seem to be <clears throat> offer some protection from bad outcomes with COVID. And, um, and, and it, that's, that wasn't, you really didn't need a study to know that that is what you would find. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, that there, there are just lots of expletives you can use to describe how the pandemic was managed, how badly it was mismanaged and, um, and how costly that was in terms of health and, and suffering. But they're just, they're, there are tremendous opportunities in the areas that we can control ourselves with prevention, but we don't have a healthcare system in the United States that is, that is really invested in those types of things. It's invested in the interests of, of, of primarily of big, of, of pharmaceutical companies. Right. And, and when it comes to broader health problems in the United States, there is obviously an epidemic of obesity, you might say, right? 70% of U.S. adults are overweight or obese, right? Con problems like that were underlying this pandemic that we weren't really talking about. I mean, many people talking about the U.S. having a very high you know, COVID death toll uh, compared to uh, several other countries. And, you know, there, there's a deeper problem there, right, with with obesity, with a lifestyle, with eating highly processed sugary foods, um, you know, the laptop class, people working nine to five, things being increasingly digitalized and whatnot. The, those are kind of the real problems that are at the heart of this, right? I mean, the pandemic came and then many people, as, as I'm sure you would agree with, who are obese, who do have multiple conditions, who aren't exercising, working nine to fives, eating unhealthy food, those people were at higher risk and some of those people were in, in critical care or died obviously e even in that sort of cohort of, of unhealthy people you might say that it's still the risk is still very low but it was higher and it was significant you might say um but that was not really focused on um sort of the underlying issues and it's, it's somewhat understandable because you're in a pandemic and you can't really reverse obesity in real time or reverse diabetes in real time. But this points to a larger problem in the United States and other Western countries as well. And I'm just curious, Dr. Latipo, like sort of maybe even beyond the pandemic, like what you make of the U.S. healthcare system and why you think there isn't a focus on, on preventative care and um, how potentially you're trying to change that in Florida. Yeah, Rob. Well, hey, I, I, I love your comments. I want to just modify, provide you some feedback on one of them, which is that, you know, obesity isn't a reversible condition in a semi-acute setting during the pandemic. And totally true, but it turns out that those activities that are beneficial, exercise, changing your diet, there's evidence, scientific evidence that even, you know, even when people are obese, just making those changes does have a benefit. And that's, so that's, so yes, you might not immediately see the weight, you know, the weight come off, but if a person is obese, but they start becoming physically active, 
that individual is healthier than someone who is the exact same weight, but isn't physically active. So there are benefits even beyond just whatever the number is on the scale. Yes. And, yeah, of course. And, and this is this has been uh, this is this has been been shown. But yeah, I, I really my sense and I, I, you know, I have the advantage of having had the experience of you know, going through medical school and you know, went to medical school in Boston at Harvard. I ended up doing a Ph.D. also you know, being my career has has uh, before becoming Surgeon General been primarily one that's focused on clinical research and also patient care. And so I've had a lot of medical practice and practice of medicine and taking care of patients and interpreting evidence and developing evidence and applying evidence in clinical care. And, and then seeing just how poorly things were managed and how much common sense was absent from the pandemic that really really radically uh, expanded, uh, changed and expanded my view of, of medical care in, in America, just very clearly seeing that, you know, what do they say? The saying is something like, um, every system is perfectly designed for the outcome it produces. And in our system, the outcome that our system is designed to produce is more meds, more treatments, and that's because the the uh, the system is based on is driven by is driven by an interest in in profit from the players. And you know who are those players? We're primarily talking about pharmaceutical companies, um, insurers uh, who benefit from having larger markets and. And and those are you know, those are the major players. You look at how the FDA, their standards of evidence. If you're a pharmaceutical company, you don't have to test your new diabetes drug or your new blood pressure drug or your new cholesterol drug, your new statin, against anything other than a placebo. But what should you be testing it against? It should be, these drugs should be tested against whatever we think is either the best thing that people can do, or even just more simply, something we already know that is effective from clinical studies like the diabetes prevention program, lifestyle changes. So that was a, the diabetes prevention program was this study, it's many years old now, and we have many years of follow-up. It was a randomized clinical trial, and it tested placebo against against lifestyle changes, prescribing lifestyle changes essentially, against metformin, which is a it's an old diabetes drug, uh, one of the few that is inexpensive. And metformin, the patients who received metformin, they lost some weight, they had some improvement. And, uh, and I think this, and it was a study of, of pre-diabetes, so diabetes prevention, but patients who were enrolled in the lifestyle arm and people were randomized. So anyone could have ended up in any of the three arms, but patients enrolled in the lifestyle modification arm with exercise changes, diet counseling, diet changes, they lost the most weight and they have the best they have the best outcomes when the study was first done and the long term follow up has continued to show that mm. so what the way things ought to work is that first of all the platform should be the benchmark shouldn't be a placebo it should be what you know what whatever lifestyle whatever changes individuals can make whatever things they can do themselves for the condition and drugs and whatever should be tested against that but we don't have that happening. And that's exactly, I mean, that's, that is exactly what should happen. And it has two benefits. The first benefit is that it would reduce the, the diffusion of these me too drugs. I mean, these drugs that have super marginal value or no value, or maybe they're even worse, but, uh, but from a financial perspective, they're a boon for pharmaceutical companies because they can, they can regain their, 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 
their protections in terms of being able to their market protections in terms of being able to to not have a generic for that particular for that mm. particular application. And then from a, even just a broader societal perspective, it gets people out of the mind space of, hey, these you know, drugs are the answer. You, you know, do you, you feel depressed? Drugs are the answer. You're overweight or obese. Drugs are the answer. It gets people out of that mindset and back into their bodies, mm. back into, you know, connection with themselves and really, imp really improving themselves in terms of their health. And that's, I mean, the world is so much, will be so much, we'll, we'll all be so much better off with that. But we don't have that system because we don't have a system designed to produce that outcome. And it needs to change. And actually, I, I, I do believe it will change. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, very quickly, in case you have any cursory thoughts, or even if you've looked into this deeply, about Ozempic, the new obesity wonder drug, supposedly. Um, the, the FDA commissioner thinks it has great promise. A lot of prominent doctors, physicians, people active in the sort of popular public health community are now touting this as a you know treatment for people who have serious chronic uh, obesity, a number of other conditions. And it's, it's, it's quite frustrating and disappointing that this is kind of where we're at, sort of using experimental drugs in young people um, when, you know, those drugs, uh, my friend Callie Means, great guy um, on Twitter, he, he pointed out, you know, these drugs create a lot of serious gastrointestinal problems for many people. Uh, long-term implications are unknown, like how long one has to take Ozempic. It seems to be, you know, you take, you like, as soon as you get off of it, you seem to gain all that weight back. And it seems to take off a lot of, uh, it seems to take off a lot of your body mass rather than fat. And, and it, it's, and that's what you want, right? When, you, when you're trying to lose weight, you're not trying to just lose, uh, you know, muscle mass or, or other areas of your body. You want to lose the actual fat, but this drug seems to have a different effect. Um, do you see this as part of a larger, you know, push towards further medicalization, further um, pushing these big pharma solutions instead of looking at the holistic picture of mind and body? It, it, it obviously is. The pharmaceutical companies, multiple companies now are are entering this market because they see dollar signs. I say that without judgment. That's that's what they do. They never promise to do anything anything else. And so there's there's clearly an enormous market opportunity because of the uh, the interest in in medications like this and the fact that in terms of a weight loss while people are taking them and there's 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 no question they they're they're very effective it's it but as you said it raises a lot of important questions I mean, it is true that many patients don't clinically tolerate them so that's that's completely the case the rates of discontinuation are fairly high it's also true that the evidence thus far shows that people who take them will regain weight after they stop taking them. And there's, there's clinical trial evidence of that. And that of course raises um, other concerns because epidemiological studies in the past have shown a, a relationship between yo-yo dieting, if you will, when people are losing weight and then putting it back on, losing weight, putting it back on and increased cardiac mortality or overall mortality. So that seems to be a harmful path to go down. Obesity, it's, it's a tough problem. I get that. I, I certainly understand why these medications are popular. It's hard for a lot of people. It's hard for a lot of people to lose weight. And you now I, I, I think it is a, it, it's a quandary and it's a, it's a challenge. It's, it's this, this uh, enticing option that, it, you know, potentially shortens the path to, to weight loss for people who are, who are, who are seeking that. What I would say is that, you know, when you step back, I mean, there's, you know, there, there is the, there is the safety issue. And that's actually maybe just more of a finer point, which is that, um, which is that, 
we we are uh, we're we're there's a lot of uncertainty right now about what the safety profile of this class of drug, these glu- glucagon-like peptide receptor antagonists, uh, ha- will have, and that's that's just normal. That's that's the business of of medicine. With more data, we're definitely going to hear about more um, adverse effects. Some of them rare, but serious, likely. So that's, I mean, that that's that is another consideration. But stepping back and looking at, at the broader picture, I mean, there, there are really two things. The first thing is how the heck did we get here? And dr- these drugs completely take away attention from that. You know, why is it that 50 years ago, obesity was not a big problem in the United States and now it's a huge problem? You know, what are the factors that have contributed to that? You know, what are the behavioral factors that have contributed to that? What are the cultural factors that have contributed to that? What, uh, what are the environmental exposures that have potentially contributed to that in terms of some of the additives, whether it's different types of pesticides or different types of plastics and leaching and, and other things that individuals are exposed to that we do have, you know, we have a, a, a we have a growing scientific understanding of their, their effects on health. Like that, that of course, that's, a major, that's probably, that is the major issue, but these drugs, they take, they take attention away from that. And those, 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 those ground issues that, that help get us into this terrible situation we are in, in public health, in terms of obesity, we really need more attention on that. And much of that is, is, uh, is, I'm, I am confident is, is profit driven. So I'll give you an example. You look at trans fatty acids. So now they're, they're banned in the United States. You, you can't use trans fatty acids in, in food products. But, you know, how did they come about? Well, they came about because they were, they were, they were a way to, to make more money. And what I mean by that is that, they, when they're used in, when they're used in, in baked goods, they allow the goods to have longer shelf life and, and longer shelf life, all things, all other things being equal will, you know, lead to less waste and more, more profits. So, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's great that something is able to increase the shelf life, but it, you know, that motivation is, is a component of that. I am, I have no doubt from everything I've seen, both working as a consultant with, uh, with biotech companies as a faculty member at UCLA and NYU, and just spending more time in medicine and medical care and paying attention. There's just no doubt that profit is a, is a seek, the seeking of profit, private gain is, and I, and again, I don't, I say that without judgment because people can pursue profit, but we got to recognize that some of that pursuit leads to it, it it is a private gain and it's a gain that's pursued without without much deference or interest at times for any ex, any external effects and reactions that it has so when when you unbundle this thing there's just there's no doubt that the pursuit of profit is part of the picture for how we've gotten ourselves into this situation with obesity and then, you know, then stepping, taking one step past that, well, what do you do now? My sense is that, you know, in, I would, and I get people are going to you know, need to make whatever choices they feel are best for their lives. My sense is that it's probably best to avoid those, those types of shortcuts and instead to go with, go with interventions that have a, a, a more humanistic basis. So, for example, Weight Watchers is another evidence-based program. You know, lots of evidence that it is effective for weight loss. You don't get the twenty percent weight loss in six months or a year that you do with these medications, but the weight loss that you get is, you know, it's 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 obtained without the risk of a lot of these side effects. You'll learn more about how to be healthier. Your there are benefits that are going to extend beyond that since those types of changes, behavioral changes, will also reduce your risk of heart disease and cancer and other yeah. other conditions. And and we're not going to find out 
you know, 10 years from now that it turns out that you're increasing your risk of, you know, some cancer or some other uh, or some, you know, or some other adverse of adverse event that was unknown that is currently unknown. So I, I think that's the more sustainable path right. to go. But I, I do acknowledge that it's a really challenging problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that this push for using these kind of drugs, yeah. it is a very banded surface level solution, right? It's, you know, something like obesity, diabetes, etc. These are holistic problems, right? These are problems that involve behavior, they involve your lifestyle, involve your discipline, your ethics, your social relationships, like it's all part of the pie. And some and I, I think I I think I agree with this that something like obesity, there there is power in actually overcoming it yourself you know like i mean hypothetically if we had you know some wonder drug that was far more effective than ozempic that worked you know you you were on it for a month and you get off it and you you still lost all the weight and didn't have many side effects etc i would you know there's still value and power in actually losing that weight because that weight gain you've had is a symptom of a bigger problem in your life, which is managing your body, you know, laziness, lack of discipline, um, taking things for granted, not eating well, like overcoming something like obesity um, and weight gain in general, even if you're not obese, if you're just overweight or you're dealing with diabetes um, or various other issues, you know, you, you want to kind of reprogram yourself from this place of, of, of unhealthiness and of um, lack of care of your body towards actually understanding the way your body functions and which foods are right for it, what what kind of activity it needs. I mean, that's that that's a big part of of us being human beings, right? Is that we, Huge. we you know, we have we have this body. We have we have a finite time on this earth, and you know, whatever religion or spirituality you believe, we this is this is a sacred temple that we have, and we have to treat it as such. And then some of these. Drug solutions that are temporary, they don't get at some of the root cause issues. And I know we're on a bit of a time crunch as well for this part two podcast. And I, I want to tie this in um, to sort of broader mind-related stuff like psychotherapy, trauma. And I'm bringing this up because I heard you on Megan Kelly's podcast um, a while ago. You were talking about some of these things. And I've been digging more and more into this stuff. Um, Dr. Gabor Mate has done great work on trauma. Um, like things like ADHD, depression, addiction, kind of tracing back many of these pathologies to childhood issues, issues with parents uh, and whatnot. And uh, I was just at a show with uh, Jordan Peterson last night. He was here in uh, Abbotsford, uh, BC. And you know, he, he was just talking about the, you know, the power of psychotherapy, about how we get locked into these narratives um, that our parents kind of pass on to us or the environment surrounding us, whether that's a depressive one, whether that's one of cynicism, doom and gloom, you know, whatever it is. Um, seems like you're someone, correct me if I'm wrong, who has, you know, gone down these roads and overcome a lot of issues. Now that I'm talking, I, I vividly remember like certain things you were saying on, on Megan Kelly's podcast. But, but, you know, first of all, I'm just curious about, you know, mind related things. Like there's one fact I heard recently that, you know, in most medical school degrees, you never hear the word trauma once. Like a physician can go through, you know, years or decades of training and never know anything about trauma and how it's stored in the body, how it leads to uh, bad social relationships, how it can, you know, destroy you know, those around you and yourself with addiction and depression and whatnot. Um, what is your uh, understanding or view of the psychological side of things and how focusing on trauma and actually changing our behavior is actually very important and also kind of neglected in sort of modern society. Yeah, Ravi. So within our, so within our, within our lifetimes, Rob, we will see a, we are, we will see a transformation in that area. And what I, what I mean is that you're right. Very little discussion. I have very little memory. I mean, a little bit of of trauma. Probably mostly in my psych rotations as a as a medical student. And um, and so it, it's not something that it's not 
it's not something that is is oh apple watch going crazy here it's not something that is <laughs> receives a lot of attention in medical school but really more broadly you've got you've got western medicine's approach to health and we got to say that loosely because it's really more an approach to treatment it's, the allopathic medical schools are definitely it's all about treatment it's not really about health the osteopathic medical route seems to be more about health yeah. if you end up but, getting but it by, by the way just quickly before you go on I, I want you to keep talking but have you ever looked into like ayurveda or chi traditional chinese medicine or other forms of medicine psychedelic medicine people are more and more into that i've interviewed a number of people in the psychedelic space for dealing with trauma ptsd depression and overcoming these issues have you looked at other forms of medicine and psychotherapy and, and kind of curious what your take is on the roles of, of those kind of, of modalities yeah so chinese medicine yes i've got i've had uh, firsthand and i don't mean medicine like putting in your mouth but uh, but is in the body of knowledge i personally have had firsthand you know firsthand i experienced firsthand benefits from from that Psychedelics, I, I haven't had experience there, but I have friends who, for example, are veterans and they swear by it, the people who've had PTSD. So I, I suspect that, that there is real value there for, for some, for some conditions. I, I, and I, and I don't know that, you know, I don't know that body of knowledge. I don't know why that can be an effective, uh, an effective, an effective you know, therapy for people, yeah. but it's certainly, I mean, the stories are very compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just say on that front. So I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist and I'm a writer on Substack and I've, I've been sort of open about this, about a couple of experience that I actually had with psychedelic therapy uh, using MDMA actually. Um, but there's lots of phenomenal data on treatment of depression. I don't know if you've seen the Johns Hopkins literature um, about treatment resistant depression, how something like, 60 to 70 percent of people enrolled in, in the psychedelic therapy protocols, you know, two to three psychedelic therapy sessions over a few months with rigorous psychotherapy every week. So you get three kind of big 10 hour sessions and they kind of allow you to go deep down inside your your unconscious. And it's, it's often just things come up that are really troubling you and disturbing you, things that you've yeah. been ignoring and neglecting and whatnot. Um, fascinating literature um, about uh, um, I'm forgetting if I just mentioned this or if I cut myself off here, but um, uh, 60 to 70 percent of people who enroll in these protocols um, uh, experience large and significant and time tested reductions in depressive symptoms up to six months to a year. Significant percentage of, of participants, 40 to 50 percent, depending on which study you're looking at, you know, have full remission of their depression because they kind of went to the, the root causes of their trauma, which is that's kind of the utility of the psychedelics is that there's no escaping, there's no avoiding these things, but there's a full on collision and there's hopefully a safe environment in these protocols to allow for that. And it seems like you're maybe not as, as well, uh, well versed in that, but that is, that is one thing that I'm very interested in because F, F, there's still no FDA approval on say MDMA therapy or psilocybin therapy. And many people have spent decades and decades in advocating for the stuff and, and they think by 2024 2025 they'll get fda approval for mdma therapy and for psilocybin maybe a few years afterwards but there, 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 there's this is a strange incongruity here where like certain very experimental drugs that may or may not be you know safe and effective for everyone i.e covid vaccines are you know radically pushed on everyone and here there's there's people that i know dr roland griffiths rick doblin at maps Griffiths is at uh, Johns Hopkins, um, senior psychedelic uh, scientist. They spent decades and decades, you know, studying and putting out study after study, and they still have no FDA approval. And, and they think, you know, potentially that you can't get patents off some of these things, and it's hard to kind of profit maybe off, off of, you know, a psychedelic mushroom or whatnot. But this is yet again another example um, of this kind of big pharma narrative. And um, I, I know I cut you off, and if you have any more thoughts about what you were saying earlier, I want to give you the opportunity to say that, but I'm also just curious, like, is, is that, I mean, there's very few people in your position who are taking the, the views that you've taken on. And I respect you for that. Uh, but with, with, even with the psychedelic stuff, you know, someone in your position, 
you know, if you were to look into the literature and be convinced by it and think that it's a good idea, are, are you willing to like, you know, support those things the way you supported other kind of holistic health measures potentially? Because I mean, no, no one really else is in the kind of position that you have. So this is a very interesting topic. Yeah, no, I totally agree, Rob. So, you know, there are a couple things going on and one of them is stigma. And so you get, you usher stigma out of the room because stigma doesn't help you. It doesn't help you think clearly and in a position of neutrality uh, so that you can really orient your, um, so you can really orient your intention toward what your goal is. And the, and the goal is to, is to help improve people's health. So, it, you know, in this particular, in this particular case, that that's the goal because people and people suffer tremendously who you know who are dealing with depression uh and people who are dealing with um with the effects of different of you know different traumatic events in their in their lives people people can suffer tremendously and you know and the goal of course is to help people get out of that suffering so i've had friends again veterans of or the ones who actually are coming to mind right now who swear that, that that's what worked for them. And the, you know, in my conversations with them, it, I just, I find it, I find it completely compelling. You know, they are, they bet their lives on it. That is absolutely positively what made the difference for them. And that, that, I mean, that is, that, that is, those are, you know, that is compelling. That is compelling. Uh, those are compelling stories. What I would say is that, you know, I'd, I'd say two things. One is that it's, it is the kind of thing that can be studied. There are issues, as you mentioned, for example, with the fact that some of these drugs, maybe all of them, in fact, are scheduled. I think a lot of them are actually, are actually scheduled, schedule one drugs. So, yeah, that so, is an issue. Yeah. So legacy uh, of the sixties, legacy of the sixties, when people, it was misused and there was some unethical scientists. There was a lot of stigma, the war on drugs, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's quickly changing because there's, there's some rigorous, solid research from Johns Hopkins, UCCF, uh, UC Berkeley, NYU on there's recent studies on alcohol addiction. So you, here you have this, you know, natural compound like psilocybin, which can be synthesized in a lab. That's incredibly effective for treating alcohol addiction. Um, I did an article on this uh, last year. Um, it's just incredible. You hear stories of people who couldn't overcome their addiction because they're so kind of caught in this traumatic loop of, you know, needing this, 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 you know, alcohol or, or, or there's great studies on smoking cessation. Dr. Matt Johnson at Johns Hopkins, great friend of mine, finding like 80% smoking cessation rate after uh, a rigorous uh, psilocybin assisted, uh, rigorous psychotherapy assisted psilocybin protocol, 80% smoking cessation rate. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Right. Yeah, that, no, it's it's wonderful. Well, so just to, to round out what I was what I wanted yes. yeah, to please. say about that issue is that is that I think you you've got to be open to the possibility that that you know whatever the schedule is, whatever that these medications you know maybe maybe you know very effective for some people and, and it's not hard to study them they're regulatory things you've get got to get through and and then you can have your answers those are very easy studies to do in in randomized clinical you know randomized controlled trials those are easy to do the other thing though is, is and, 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 and we already have many of those studies too as, as i've already mentioned i mean again the data is compelling i mean I, I haven't seen, and I, I love it. You know, I, I don't know a lot about uh, those studies, but I haven't seen any larger ones. And I'm just saying that's that's the direction you need to go. Sure, sure. The other the other thing, and it's not hard to do. It just, I mean, it's 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 easy. It's not hard to do. Those are easy studies to do. But I think the other thing to keep you want to keep in mind is that well, you know, drugs don't happen in a, your medications or drugs don't happen in a vacuum, right? So people people. In general, it's it's actually it's a little it's a little ironic. So in general, the part of the reason that we do have so much drug abuse is that people are using them to numb out, right? To feel less, yeah. to disconnect. And it sounds like from your what what you're saying, some of these psychedelics, in fact, 
they're actually these they're doing the opposite so yep. whatever barriers people have between their conscious and their unconscious or subconscious mind you know with whatever the subconscious mind is holding hiding you know keeping from the conscious mind uh, where that pain lies in the subconscious or in the in the subconscious mind it it sounds like part of the experience is or part of what may be maybe causing the benefit is allowing people to actually get in touch with some of that, you know, some of that material, you know, some of yes. that, some of that matter that the, that the subconscious mind yeah. is, is per per on. perfectly said that that's a great way to reiterate it. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. And, yep. and if that is what's happening, it, it would actually would make sense that it would be very effective because those things, they stay in the background. They're not in the conscious mind, but they yep. show up completely in people's lives. Uh, because you know it, it's the conscious mind is only part of what happens and the mind will play a million tricks it will do whatever it needs to do mm. to protect you i mean that's just how every, that's how the mind that's how the mind works so 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 there is some irony there that it's perhaps allowing people to get more in touch with something that rather than allow you know giving people an opportunity to escape which is most which i would I would say is most of the you know, most of what's behind a lot of drug use in this country. So I think you just you would want to approach it in a way that is not so much promoting drug use because there's a problem with that because there really is this this yep, desire to escape to separate you know separation consciousness in you know in this world because of stressors and past trauma and, and things like that. And you don't want to feed that, but you do want to have an avenue for people who are you know suffering tremendously i mean that's a that is quite a gift but it's also not the only path there are just from my own personal experience you know there are you know there are there are there's knowledge in the areas of chinese medicine and meridian theory and qi that is that allows people to to get more in touch with those underlying traumas and and mm. other things that the that the subconscious mind is holding onto and 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 other other mm. areas within the body that those that those memories and those experiences and the stress from them um, lie that allow people to obtain freedom through work. I mean, they, you, have, you have to do you have to put energy into it, but you can get free, and that is ultimately the goal, right? Because depression, you know, PTSD, all that stuff, you know, you're not free. You are you are yes. a you're Absolutely. a not a, you're a, not a slave, but you are you're, you're, you're a, a victim, you're a prisoner to these yeah. yes. know, to these things that are that lie in your subconscious subconscious mind, generational trauma, other stuff. And, uh, and, and there are, you know, there are other there, it's not the only path to, to, to freedom. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, as someone who deeply cares, you know, about the well being of others and someone who's seen a lot of mental illness in their family and social environment, um, I've seen, you know, various traumas as well, although not to the extent that you have, which, which you outlined in Megan Kelly's podcast, just a quick note on that for you, for your understanding. Um, you may be interested in checking out Dr. Roland Griffiths, top psychedelic scientist on Megan Kelly's show. It was a phenomenal conversation that I kind of helped uh, uh, hook up there. It was, it was really good. It might be of interest to you. Um, um, but, uh, but yeah, as someone who cares about the well-being of others and who wants um, you know, solutions for trauma, the, the, the psychedelic promise is a broader integrative promise. It's that you know, many people say in one psychedelic session, you get 10 months of therapy and it's, it's all part of therapy as well. In these trials, it's your, you know, your one big session for 10 hours, then every week there's integration because you can forget about it. Right. Um, but it's part of a larger holistic picture about um, focusing on trauma and getting to the root cause and psychedelics tend to kind of bring you the deeper insights a little quicker or maybe more efficiently or help you kind of arrive at insights that may take a very, very long time with, a bit more um, efficiency in some way. Um, I, know, I know you got to go here in a second, but that's kind of my last question to you, I, I guess. I, I did not expect to ask you about this, but again, as someone who cares about the great well-being of humanity and others based on my own experiences of the suffering of those around me, people stuck in you know, loops of PTSD and depression and whatnot, 
the, the, the psychedelic promise alongside a you know broader understanding of mind body psychotherapy all of which the, the big psychedelic advocates will tell you I'm, I'm curious you as a you know as a surgeon general and, and by the way I have no financial or political interest in any of this I'm not you know a lobbyist or anything but if more and more trials were to come out and you know were to convince you and if you were to look at the existing data which I think would also further compel you um, is that something um, like if, if you were compelled to see that that is going to improve the well-being of others and help people overcome their trauma, is that something you could support as a Florida Surgeon General? Because I've seen you create committees um, in your state, you know, hold the CDC and FDA accountable, you know, create these commissions that I've seen with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, Dr. Freeman and others, and actually do what no one else is doing in the country and actually, you know, care about the well-being of others and hold Big Pharma accountable. Are you, is, is there a potential for kind of having these kind of initiatives with kind of the psychedelic psychotherapy promise if you were to see that this could benefit your state and the country more broadly? I, I know that's a big question, but if you have any thoughts, I'd love to, I'd love to hear it. Well, Rob, I would say that I actually think that that is, it's not, it's, it's not, I, I'm trying, I don't mean this in any way that's insensitive, but I don't think it's an important question. I think that the, the important question is where, you know, how do you create a body of, 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 of scientific literature in this area that's compelling and speaks for itself? And, you know, how, how do you connect that with people's understanding and desire to help other people who are suffering. And then the story gets written by itself. I mean, you know, would I be supportive of something like that? If I saw um, more data, you know, larger trials that showed that it was helping people who were suffering and it was doing so in a way that, you know, very clearly showed that the, that the benefits were outweighing any potential risk. Of course I would. I mean, that's a wonderful gift. I think at the same time, and, but it, it's also irrelevant, right? Because you want a body of, you want right. a body of science and you want, and you want a, you know, body of evidence that just speaks for itself. Like, how would you not want to help people? Right. And I, I just want to. They're, they're just systemic. Them. I'm so sorry, but they're, they're just like systemic issues. Same with COVID, honestly, where you have medical professionals who are not kind of speaking out, even though there's fascinating literature, but the kind of the big, the big pharma incentives and whatnot seem to be, you know, kind of uh, working against that. that. That's why I, I just wanted to ask you, and, and you don't have to answer you know, that directly, but that's, as someone like you who's pushing back against big pharma and kind of the systemic problems to advance the holistic solutions that you've been promoting in other areas, it, it just felt something that I wanted to just kind of point you in that direction a little bit. That, that's why I was asking you. Oh, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. All right. Thank you, Dr. Ladipo. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, your insights and your wisdom. Um, it's, it's been phenomenal. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Talk. Thanks, man. All right.